Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I'm good. It's it's finally chilly here, so I can sit here in the non air conditioning uh, without sweating oh, my hand off. So I am uh, pleased. Uh, yeah, I um. So Palo Alto normally gets pretty warm, so I feel like uh, I don't have air conditioning in Palo Alto. I can kind of relate to this, but I'm not actually in Palo Alto right now. I'm in Bali. Hey, that's on my side of the world. Yeah, I am. I'm on your side of the Pacific. It is stinking hot over here and humid which is much like taiwan is taipei when uh you need to turn the ac on and because we're recording i've had to turn the air conditioner off and so i can very much empathize right now with what it is you normally have to go through to talk to me every week (laughs) I, i like how you always thought the sweating was for you Oh well, no. Now, now I know. Now I know for sure that it's not me that's making you sweat. It's definitely the climate. Well, I trust that everything is going is going smoothly for you. Yeah. Well, so the reason I'm over here is uh, this has been quite the summer, actually. From the silent meditation retreat, this is something else that I've always wanted to do. And time in between work is uh, an opportunity to do things like this. I'm actually taking a yoga teacher training. So it's a 200 hour, which is effectively a month long course here in Bali at a really cool place, learning to become a yoga teacher. And I'm not sure that I'm actually going to become a yoga teacher, but it's just, I've been interested in this for a very long time. And I figured now is the opportunity to do it. You know, it kind of sounds like you're having a midlife crisis, I have to tell you. You are not the first person to suggest this. It's either that or the other thing that I often hear is I'm turning into a Silicon Valley cliche. You know, you come to the valley, work (laughs) in a tech firm. Meditation retreats and yoga classes. Right, and then become a yoga teacher. So uh, it's it's maybe it's somewhere between the two. But so far, so good. It's been absolutely fantastic. I'm learning a ton of very different stuff. And it's, it actually kind of reminds me a little bit about business school uh, in the sense that uh, what you learn, it's you, you learn a theoretical side, but there's also a very practical side to it that you apply straight away. And it's a, it's a pedagogy that I very much appreciate where you get a conceptual side, but you get a very applied practical side where you're moving things around with your body and you're seeing the results straight away. So that I very much appreciate. Well, thank you for, uh, for suffering on our behalf. And, and I, I had massive air quotes of suffering, just, just for the record. Very good. Well, I almost didn't make it tonight. I got pulled over by a police officer while I was riding my scooter uh, uh, back, to the, uh, back to the place where I'm staying. And up until four or five days ago, I'd never ridden a scooter before. I've almost killed <laughs> myself a couple of times. Did I give you a ride on a scooter when you were in Taiwan? I can't remember. No, you didn't. I, um, you, you didn't. You told me how. You, you kind of got rid of them when, when the kids came along. Yes, you I didn't were, want to die. I mean, capable right. of driving slowly. Yes, I, I'm. I've become much more capable of driving slowly. Normally, I'm a bit of a lead foot as well. But on the scooter, there's nothing between you and all the crazy traffic and all the crazy Westerners that drive around here. Like their their pants are on fire. It's nuts. Um, the Indonesians are fast, but they're quite safe. It's the Westerners you have to be careful of. But I got. I actually got pulled over by a police officer in a little tourist trap, a a one-way street that uh, was not marked as one way at all. And, you know, I think think the inclination was, I I wasn't the only tourist that got pulled over. He's like, I think they might have been looking for a a little bit of uh, greasing of the skids, so to speak. Uh, And I didn't really want to do that, but I was very nice to him. And then he pulled over these Dutch people while I was there 
And in contrast to me being very polite, they just wanted to argue with him. So in front of them, he just like, Mr. James, I think you should go now. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think I might also be the only Westerner in the history of Bali to get off without having to uh, grease the skids of this police officer who's pulled me over for going down a one-way street. You know, you had the perfect midlife crisis story if you would have been, if you could have framed it as you were tooling around your hot rod. Uh, yes, it, it got, my my souped up little scooter in Bali. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one wants to hear about this. We're gonna move yeah, on. yeah, we should. <laughs> We're gonna move on to uh, to Mailchimp. Mailchimp has lots of integrations from WordPress to Facebook. I should mention uh, Mailchimp sponsors Exponents. They will sponsor Exponent all year, and they have lots of integrations from WordPress to Facebook to Shopify to Magento. Mailchimp integrates with the apps and web services every day. I should include Memberful, the the, the software that I use. You connect your Mailchimp account with hundreds of powerful web services. When you sync the applications you use to run your business and break down data silos between platforms, your workflow becomes more efficient, and that extra time lets you focus on increasing engagement and revenue or writing daily updates as it were so our thanks to mailchimp for sponsoring exponents so i actually i did a james-esque advertiser segue here because they're talking about integrations and this week uh i was i was writing about some of the chat apps and integrations is certainly an important and important mm. part of that but more broadly this was just kind of an interesting time to write about it in part because facebook or workplace by Facebook launch this week. Mm. And there's been uh, a few pretty media rumors about Skype Teams, which is kind of Microsoft's Slack killer, for lack of a better word. Hmm. But what I thought was really interesting and kind of the the angle that I talked about was actually a reflection of our our podcast a couple episodes ago about this idea of like the consumerization of IT, mm. yep. which is a phrase I've always kind of despised. In part because... The again, I, th- I think I think I mentioned at the time. I the way that I heard it the most was when I was at Microsoft, and I didn't really buy the Microsoft definition in some respects. And it didn't it didn't feel. I mean, it really came. So I actually went back and researched this. It was actually coined way back in two thousand hmm. and one. And although they didn't actually, the, the authors didn't actually put it down in a paper. Uh, until something like like two th- two thousand and four, and they were a couple guys named D- Douglas Neal and John Taylor. So give them give them credit. And the, actually, I think their initial formulation was 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 really interesting and pretty compelling. And basically, what they were arguing, and, and in two thousand one, I think this was a, a pretty forward thinking concept. Was traditionally computing had always been enterprise first. Uh, you know, through whether it be through the through the eighties or or, or or even going back further to mainframes and, and then and then the mini computers and then and then the PC technology was developed first for the enterprise, which was willing to pay for it and was willing to go through all the the pain of getting it to work. We talked about this a, a couple weeks ago, like getting ERP systems massively increased efficiency, even though they were unbelievably painful to install and get off the ground because it it provided such a, a massive return. Right. And uh, they were, it, it, and the scale thing, the, the the nature of how difficult it was to deploy this technology and how expensive it was. The only the only folks that could really afford it were an enterprise. But as the internet's growing, it started to granularize the ability to deploy technology. Absolutely, and and the well, just in general too. I think a a company can really put a do like an ROI. It, Equation in kind of a in a lifetime value sort of sense in a much more applied way than kind of consumers are. So mm. you could be a bank or you could be a big 
company or, or you know with a ton of inventory that that would be nice to track and you could say okay this is going to literally take years to get done it's going to cost a lot of money it might not work so we have to discount that but if it does work and you can literally put down like a 20 year return that you're going to get from this sort of investment and that's that's a time scale that just doesn't really doesn't really compute when it comes to consumers yeah, and there's also a degree of rationality that businesses have that consumers typically don't, uh, and, and a willingness to spend on these kinds of things that that uh, businesses have that consumers don't. And it's not until things start getting more affordable that consumers will start to jump into the pond. Absolutely, and I think that degree of rationality is key. I'm actually glad you brought that up. I actually <laughs> going to the very beginning of this podcast where it even got started. That point about how businesses apply that sort of like spreadsheet type rationality to products was one of my contentions that 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 when it came to kind of traditional disruption theory that was a, a really important important part of it because mm. that discounted the user experience it discounted the sort of stuff that can't be measured because it was like this hyper rationality again to care about those things is to not be irrational i'm just saying those because they're hard to measure they don't get measured which means they don't enter into these these sort of calculations absolutely so anyhow the, the, so their 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 contention so th that was the case for for a long time and and in the in the 90s in particular the the pc really started to push into the consumer space but again people were buying the pcs that they that they had at work and this gets back in the whole history of pcs and why windows won and why it actually never was a contest because dos won and then windows was on top of dos and mac really never was really never competitive frankly and you know, Dosh and the coattails, coattails of IBM, and then mm. people at home would buy the same thing they had at work, and they they right. had the same the same programs that they had at work. Because again, it was you had software, there was no internet, so people who who had computers were largely buying the same thing that they had at work, and then because those are the computers are at home, that's where kind of the gaming rose up on the PC, and it, it was a it was a it had all the qualities of sort of the, an ecosystem where all the all the pieces plugged into Windows, and that's a reason why Microsoft and and Intel were were so dominant. And just thinking about the way I mean, it's it's some it's sometimes hard now to cast your mind back to the way that software was distributed. It was it was the old fashioned way of walking into a store and picking up a box and taking it home and if you were in a if you're in a market where you only had five percent trying to convince people to carry computers and software when it's only five percent market share when that space could be utilized to sell more software to 95 percent of the market it used to mean that things like it was really hard for mac users and apple users to get software uh it went and and then that would prevent people from buying it but because they were from building it because building it right yeah, yeah exactly you yeah, couldn't buy it why would you build it people can't buy it it was it was a very localized almost like a ground war type approach to distribution, which completely flipped with the internet where your addressable market suddenly became the entire planet and you didn't have to go store by store, city by city to get software into people's hands. So the nature of it completely changed. Right. And that's a really great point because I, I, I've, I've written this before. I can't remember if we talked about, I think we might've talked about this a couple weeks ago. There is not a there's not like the piece, the, a continuum of like the last 30 years. Like there is a very 
sharp dividing line pre and post internet because of because of this point before the internet and this this is a very important point what we're going to talk about today but before the internet you still had traditional distribution which meant you had to go through the CIO and, and, get, and get it installed. Or you mm. had to, in the case of consumer software, you had to get it on the shelf of CompUSA, a store that actually existed for all you youngins. You, you had to go through this same sort of thing that a Procter & Gamble had to go through to get their laundry detergent on the shelves. Mm. Like it, it, right. it, all that stuff still applied. So yes, it was technology that was useful and made your life better, but the, all the distribution was still old world distribution. And I mean, Microsoft had such a dominant share in the enterprise and it led to this virtuous cycle of it having a dominant share on the consumer side. And as that continued, built on itself, exactly. Yeah, less software would get made on for all the other platforms. And then when people would walk in, it's like, why would, yeah, maybe the experience is the graphical user interface even of the Mac is slightly better, but I can't get the software I want. So why would I buy it? And so on and so forth. Right. And then Microsoft made a good enough version of Windows. And then by the time like Windows 95 came, out, it was actually technically much better than the Mac, like protected memory. Who knew it was a thing? Mm-hmm. And and the I mean the fact that the Mac survived is amazing because like there was lots of operating systems that actually died in that era. Yeah. And, and the Mac was actually the only one that survived purely by virtue of like its its user interface was so much better and and the experience it just had these these passionate fans that still bought it oh and it got got like that sort of stronghold in like uh graphic design and and layout and stuff like that and it kind of had that one niche that 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 kept it alive yeah and it it came down to a matter of weeks before they ran out of money but that's (laughs) a that's a whole nother conversation that is a whole nother nother conversation so so anyhow so by the time in 2001 when they when they wrote this we're still pretty Early in the internet era, we we gone through the dot com era, or we're at the very very tail end of it. It was it was already sort of crashing, and you know the the big challenge, the big problem with the dot com era, people there are, there are lots of startups today. Like oh, that was like when the, this X start, startup X the dot com era. Well, yeah, but the problem was in the dot com era, not that many people had computers. One, computers were stuck to your desk. Two, and no, everyone was using dial-up internet connections. Three, like the, just the conditions. It's not that the ideas were necessarily bad; it's that the conditions weren't right for a lot of them. A lot of them to make sense. Absolutely. So, so by the time two thousand one comes around, like broadband penetration is still relatively low. It's just starting, you know, to sort sort of seep into places. I had it, I think, because I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. I had it two thousand one. I had it obviously at, at school and at work, but at home, I think I was still dialing in. Um, I, I lived, you know, off campus in the University of Wisconsin. I think I, I think we were still dialing in at that point. It wasn't viable really for a home to have uh, an affordable broadband connection. So again, very like very very early in sort of the transformation that would come. Gee, I still remember the various noises that a modem would make. I know such that like, is it going to connect? Is it not going to connect? Am I going to get a decent speed? And then I remember hitting a university a broadband connection at university the first time and thinking, oh my god, this is friggin' amazing. We were such geeks. Like so, the, it was traditionally you would uh, stay in the dorms your first year, and then by the second year, everyone would move off campus, and, and you know you obviously had more more freedoms as, such as we were off campus. There was a group of us that actually stayed in the dorms a second year because. We couldn't bear to give up the internet connection. I, that that, like, that was totally our motivation. Like the, we were, we were totally honest about it. That's why we stayed in the dorms. Sign of things to come, right? I know. Uh, that's why I say in my Twitter bio that uh, that uh, home on the internet. That's, that's yep. always been the case. Very good. 
<laughs> so anyhow, in 2001, uh, these guys wrote, these guys came up with this concept, consumeration of IT, and it was it was a really it was really smart. It really, really was. So what they were saying was that there's these internet companies, and, and one of their examples is like Yahoo. <laughs> I mean, but the, the point still holds. The idea being that right now it doesn't really compare in scale and and uh, you know the the money that there is to spend to to the enterprise world. The amount of money that's spent by enterprises far was far greater than consumer. The amount of investment that's going to enterprise software was was far greater than going to consumer software. But but their point was as more and more people come online, it's inevitable that these consumer services are going to get such scale and become so powerful that they are going to race ahead of enterprise technology and their capa- in their ability to invest and build com- complex services and the technology is going to end up being much better on the consumer side than it's going to be on the enterprise side again it's just one of these things where it seems kind of obvious in retrospect but given i can i can cast my mind back to that time it is incredibly prescient for someone to write this because you are you are comparing it against uh, a world in which all those server rooms existed and and all those massive ERP and HR, HR management systems existed that were billions upon billions of dollars. These were huge markets. And to say that the consumer side is going to surpass, not just surpass it, but dwarf it such that uh, it's going to completely change the nature of uh, of of B to B, the B to B side of things is it was incredibly prescient for the time. It really was, and, and and that's and and they were they were right. That's that's what happened. And I th- and this week we saw probably like almost the pinnacle of their theory come to pass, mm. and that was that Facebook rolled out Facebook or Workplace by Facebook, and what it, it's this incredibly in depth thought through all these features sort of product that is far more complex far more powerful and backed by a far more you know strong or what's what's the word um but just a massive back end than any sort of enterprise software has ever been before and why could facebook spend so much money to do this they didn't spend a dime. I mean, that's that, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but it because it is it's basically the work version of Facebook that they've spent twelve years building, that they've spent twelve years iterating on. They've spent twelve years building the back end, like this massive back end for, and and it's it, it's a perfect example of exactly what they're talking about. Facebook is so big and has so many customers that the the power of the consumer product and the and the the depth of engineering that goes into the consumer product is just massively greater than than anything you're going to get on the enterprise side which me and so it's a perfect example of what they the what Neil and Taylor were talking about when it came to consumers IT like it is a consumer product that is in the enterprise because it was a consumer product first and that's that's the only way it's possible it's one of these things that almost sounds like it it almost sounds too neat to be true such that it almost sounds trite like what happens if we took all the concepts behind facebook and uh applied it to the enterprise it's the kind it's it's it just i i've come to appreciate that when ideas like that almost sound too good to be true that they often are the one thing that makes me uh, that that really changes my mind about this is that they've been using it to great effect internally f- from all the reports Totally, and and we we'll, we can get more into the the details of it later. But it's just it really is the the kind of pinnacle of 
of this trend. It's not the first one, though. I mean, ten years ago, the other the other sort of killer example is is Google Apps uh, or Google Apps for Work. They've changed the name a million times. Where again, they took their consumer email product and calendar product and all those sorts of things and made it available for for the enterprise. It was again going in in the same sort of direction. We had the same thing in, in devices too. The iPhone has become the dominant phone for enterprise, even though it was previously phones were business first. The, the Windows, the Microsoft phone was focused on business. The BlackBerry was focused on business. The iPhone was focused on consumers, but it was so much better and it was justified in being better because the potential market was so great that Apple could invest in it to a far greater degree than than was possible otherwise. And obviously all the consumer chops that Apple has you know, going back to the Mac, that it it took over, and that was again going from the cons- justified by the massive consumer market being brought into the enterprise. That actually, I I wonder if that uh, if that is the first big uh, example of that phenomenon, where it had always been the case that, my, like, for example, we talked about Windows, how it got its start in the enterprise and then moved across to the consumer side. And it, it the the uh, the scale that uh, selling to enterprise first provided meant that when it hit the consumer market, there was just no other choice. It's I, I, I wonder if the iPhone in that example is actually the first instance of a product that did so well on the consumer side and ended up uh, ended up completely dominating the enterprise as a result. Yeah, I mean, why? I, first and foremost, the, the 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 key was that the iPhone was a computer that mm. that had phone functionality, mm-hmm. as opposed to being a phone that had smart functionality. So it, from from the get go, it was going to doom the other ones. John Gruber wrote this super prescient article, and I think in two thousand eight, basically saying that Rim is screwed for this exact reason. Like they, they are a gadget maker making smart devices, and Apple is building a computer that's mm. like a gadget. And that's exactly that's exactly what happened. But uh, again though, it was a it was a product that that went in in one direction. And that's always held up as kind of the canonical example of consumerization of IT. And I think in it and I think this is where my view of consumer IT before, like I, I kind of studied it and understood its background, which again is very elegant and I think is a really inspired bit of thinking, frankly. But the sort of post iPhone definition became this sort of consumers like really fancy user interfaces and their iPhones. Mm. So we need to make enterprise software. That's kind of like that, (laughs) which, which is, which is just a terrible definition. Right. It, 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 yeah, it almost became a just slap a pretty coat of paint over the top and now it's consumerized IT as opposed to we're going to get our start in the consumer space delivering a fantastic experience as opposed to just an interface and then take what we've learned and the scale that we've built and bring it over to the enterprise side. Right. No, well, well, yeah. Well, so there's the, the, well, this is why I differ it because there's like different definitions. So there is that mm. traditional definition, which is you build it at the at consumer scale and then you bring it bring it to the enterprise. And again, Facebook, Google, Google Docs, uh, and, and the iPhone are all great examples of this. But mm. there was they're kind of like I said, there was this kind of bastardized definition that I heard a lot at Microsoft, which is why I was so I didn't like the term. And I I found this this interview that that Steve Ballmer did with with Ars Technica back in in 2010. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna quote it here. So. 
I think a unique opportunity we have is to be a company that builds things that consumers love that enterprises will actually use. Because once a consumer loves it, there will be pressure in the enterprise to use it. I want the consumers to love our stuff more and for the enterprise to be able to use it more quickly. Like That, so- that sounds good, but but the key phrase here, and there, there's some other Balmer quotes about this that, that I put a different one in the article, but is this that enterprises will actually use. There was There was this underlying assumption, which to that date was totally reasonable, that for products to be used in the enterprise, they had to meet certain standards of of compliance. They had to meet certain standards of like all these sort like they had to be installed on the servers that were on premises, which is a really critical thing because mm. who's making the decisions about the servers? The CIO, right? Exactly, right. So so th- you had this view, I think, in Microsoft at that time, and, and I think other enterprise companies that oh, wait, we still we still have the relationship with the with with the CIO and that's been the foundation of our business for a very long time. We've built this business on we get one product in the data center and then we we ladder up from there because no who wants to deal with multiple vendors like it's our responsibility to make sure stuff integrates together not try to tie a bunch of disparate things together. And, and so you this was the strategy of all the enterprise companies like get that one killer product in and sell a bunch of extra products on top of it. Like your goal is to increase spend with your customer just continually continually over time and they couldn't really do anything about it. And so so and so Bomber's like, well, yeah, we'll keep doing that. We have that relationship. We're just going to make it really fun to use, so that when the when the consumer comes to the CIO and says, "Oh, I really want to use this consumer application," the CIO can say, "Oh, we have a also very fun and easy to use application that's the same thing and 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 it works with our servers." Blah 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 blah, and then everything would be hunky dory and and yes, Microsoft might be hurting the consumer market, but they they were they were still going to own the enterprise. Yeah, it. <laughs> I, I. Right you, now, you now we're going to do the plot twist. Plot twist. Right, that, I exactly. I, I uh, you put out a tweet during the week about don't you miss this guy and a link to it, the Bulmer interview. And yeah, I, I miss Steve Bulmer. He's an entertaining character. He's. I don't know. His thinking was always that great, but he was an entertaining character. Well, I mean, he. Well, I mean, he loved the company and like he gave his life to it, and he did a lot of he did a lot of good work. But I think the the the, the really killer thing that Balmer did that made Microsoft so so powerful was he really pioneered this sort of le- leverage strategy where once Microsoft got a piece of you, they would wedge that into more and more of your mm-hmm. budget. And right. And the other thing, and Microsoft was innovative in a lot of ways. Like Microsoft really pioneered this idea of like subscription pricing, right? Subscription isn't just the cloud. Subscription pricing actually started with on-premise products and Windows, where, where Microsoft shifted almost all their user base away from one-time purchases to subscription pricing. They just get updates updates over time. It was still the old model of like annual releases or biannual releases, all that sort of stuff. But the the payment method and and shifting it to being an operating expense instead of a capital expense, like Microsoft. Microsoft pioneered all that stuff, and that was all Steve Ballmer. Like he was, he was, I think, more innovative with that sort of stuff than people give him credit for. The problem is that, as we are clearly pivoting to, we've kind of referenced just that era and the leverage points that Microsoft was using was coming to an end. Indeed, it was. It was. So this is where the, your point about the internet comes in. Where where. Now we're we're in 2010 or so, and, and we're everyone has broadband. Businesses have broadband, and the broadband is so good that, as we've discussed, you can start running your applications not on your own servers. You can run it. You can run all the way to to, to the metal or 
a virtual metal anyway on AWS, but you mm. could also run all these SaaS applications where you're you're operating, you're getting a single specific application from a, a SaaS vendor that does that does one thing. And this really started to break down Microsoft's leverage points and, and all traditional IT leverage points because now the upkeep and the integration and all that sort of stuff was the responsibility of the SaaS vendor. There weren't you weren't paying an upfront fee and maintenance costs over time because that was all baked into your subscription cost. And once that was the case, once all those that burden was lifted off of off of the CIO and off of the ops group, other factors could come to the forefront. Like it used to be it used to be like go think about Airbnb. <laughs> I'm using Airbnb as an example for enterprise software. Like what makes Airbnb work is it was always the case that if you were going to sleep somewhere, you needed to feel safe. Which and the best way to ensure that people felt safe was that they went to a proper hotel ideally with a name brand or at least, you know, a, re- a good reputation. And then they would sleep like who you're just going to go sleep in a stranger's home. That, that that's ridiculous. Well, what did, what was it? What's the key thing for Airbnb? It's the rating system, right? Straight from eBay. Like this idea that you can digitize trust. You can digitize what used to be, you had to build and build a brand around. You could digitize that. And once you did that, then other factors could, as long as you didn't feel safe, that was the most important thing. That was more important than price. That was more important than location. That was more important than facilities, more important than anything. Once that was taken care of, or at least drastically reduced in importance, the other factors that mattered would become part of your decision-making. It could be, well, I want to stay in a house, or I want to stay on someone's couch, or I really want to get a low price, or I want to stay in a residential neighborhood, not in a commercial district. All these different things were allowed to become part of the decision-making process that weren't as long as safety was the most important thing. So once they got that out of the way, it's not that safety didn't matter. It's that all the other stuff started to matter at sort of an equal priority level. There's this there's this famous quote that I got very early on in my in in my business school studies in in marketing courses, which is from a from a, a professor by the name of Theodore Levitt. Consumers don't want to buy a quarter inch drill; they want a quarter inch hole. And this is the this is effectively what it, it it's true of consumers, but it's also true of enterprises too. Like uh, it might be the case that they'd always relied on that iron on all the hardware on those Microsoft relationships, but if they could shift all that away and have someone else manage it, maybe it wouldn't be something that happened immediately. There's culture. There's like, do we want to be trailblazing? Like we're going to be a little bit conservative, but ultimately. The, the, the enterprise is no different. They just want the quarter-inch hole. And if they can get a better version of a quarter-inch hole from a SaaS provider that you you can more easily try, that you don't have to spend all this time spinning up, that you don't have to manage, of course they're going to go for it. Well, it, it's that, but it's also in the opposite direction. Like as long as as long as we, we, we've spent a couple of podcasts now talking about how, how painful it, it, it was to install enterprise mm. software and to get people mm-hmm. up r- running on it and get stuff integrated. And as long as that pain was there, the companies that were already in your data center had a massive advantage. Yes, SharePoint might suck, but you already have my Windows Server and you're already using Exchange, you're already using all the other pieces of the of the Microsoft stack. So it's just so much less pain to use SharePoint, even though it sucks, than to install 
a product from someone else. And Microsoft did this, Oracle did this, SAP did this. Like once you're in the data center, it's so much easier to upsell your good enough product as opposed to an outside product coming going in. And that's sort of the the the. And so the analogy to Airbnb is once Airbnb digitized trust and let other things rise to the forefront, mm-hmm. once cloud software became viable, that you like th- it took away that bottleneck, that bottleneck being the pain of installation. Once the pain of installation and maintenance went away, other things could be rise to equal priority, like ease of use, like being the good on mobile. Of- the quality of the software, right? Exactly, like which was always a secondary concern because the it, it, integration and installation was so painful. Once that went away, other stuff rose in importance. Right, and that is a. It's hard to it's hard to overstate how dramatic a shift that is. Like, sorry, no longer is it going to be the case that the brand on the tin is going to be the most important decision. We're actually going to judge these things by the mer- their merits. And uh, it, it suddenly opens the world up to a whole lot more competition. And it also puts puts the incumbents in almost a worse spot. Like Microsoft's products were engineered to drive upgrades of each other, right? Like if you wanted a new feature in Exchange and you needed to upgrade Windows Server, which meant you got a new version of Active Directory. You got a new version of Active Directory that doesn't work with your current installation of SharePoint. So you need a new version of SharePoint. And like it was like this, it was like this gear thing where you click once and all these other things go up and suddenly Microsoft's sitting on a whole new pile of money. And once and so but but that pile of money that took effort. It had to be engineered into the product. That was effort that was not going into providing superior user experience because that right. wasn't that wasn't the level of that wasn't the playing field. User experience was not the playing field on which buying decisions were made in the enterprise because what was more important was getting getting big companies locked into your stack. It's it's always the case that sometimes the, well it's not always the case but it's crazy how sometimes these things that have been such strengths in the past like can flip around so quickly to end up becoming huge drawbacks once something changes like oh, totally. uh, it's just nuts like and again it's it's part of the reason why Ballmer was so successful and Microsoft was so successful all the way up until the point that they weren't yeah, no, absolutely. I think that, I think that that's a great observation. So you you have this area, and so I think that there's a broader sort of point here. Once you get, once you, we talked about distribution and all like all this. This pain was part of the distribution thing. Like that kind of maintained the old distribution advantages. Like yes, mm. the internet was around, but as long as this pain was there, it was as if there was no internet because. Right. It locked in sort of the old world order. Mm-hmm. Once that broke down, and you got truly got internet style distribution where it's free and all this sorts of things. What you see in all markets, whether the consumer markets or the enterprise markets, once the distribution barrier comes down, the the winners, the importance of user experience goes up. Like I think I almost think I'm gonna call it like Ben's theorem or something. Like I think there really is this sort of like those are directly related because once distribution goes down, Competition opens up much more widely because anyone can get in, and once anyone can get in, it, it's actually to you have to be the best. You can't be owning, you can't be win on just owning the channel. Who do you think the pioneer of this model was? It's uh, I, I was I, I it was that's almost a rhetorical question, hint, hint. but I I, I we <laughs> talked about the um we talked about uh the the B2B IT side a couple of episodes ago, and I was almost kicking myself for not raising the degree of, of 
uh, on the subject of prescience that Benioff had when he founded Salesforce. Absolutely. The, uh, the everything from the the model of shifting shifting everything to the cloud and selling that to enterprises that have traditionally been very conservative organizations to not only t- taking that but actually making it the slogan and if you read the history of how that came to be everybody absolutely everybody told him that this idea of no software as the slogan was a terrible idea that you never do negatives but rather than Rather than um, try and apologize for it, he doubled down on it, and that was the first example of an of uh, in the B two B on the B two B side of things, just completely shaking it up. It's the first example of all these things that we've been talking about. Absolutely, and there's actually a lot of stuff that Salesforce pioneered that we're gonna. That I think we're gonna get to in a second when it came to much more of a platform approach and integrations mm. and and all that sort of stuff. Again, well, we talked about this in the context of Amazon again when it came to to Oracle. Like, there's almost like a two. We've talked about this in the context of lots of stuff. There's like a two step process when it comes to new technology. The first step is to basically replicate what came before, but on top of the new technology, mm. right? The classic yeah. example is the banner ad, right? A banner ad was just like a newspaper ad, but it was on the web. And then we figured out that, oh, actually what really works is the feed ad where it's in in a feed. And that's why, you know, like Facebook is is so profitable. But it, lot, there's lots of products that are based on on being in the feed as opposed to as opposed to the banner ad, which is, you know, dead and dying. Mm. The and I think that's that's the case when it comes to the cloud. Like in the case of Amazon, we talked about well, the first step was just running stuff that used to run on premise, running it in Amazon's cloud. And you got the advantage of scalability and and subscription pricing and moving it to your to, to your OpEx from CapEx and all 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 that sort of stuff. But you were still building software the same way. You're provisioning servers. You're just provisioning them virtually instead of provisioning mm-hmm. like actual actual servers. So there right. were real benefits. But the true the true revolution is kind of the next step where SaaS is certainly a part of this, but also the new products like Lambda that, that, that AWS is building where you're starting to design applications in a completely new way right. because you have, you're operating under completely different assumptions than what came before. And you know, you you saw this, and I think you've seen this with 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 SaaS stuff, which we'll get to. Well, we'll get to. I think as as we go along, where even stuff like like Google Docs, like Google Docs was like a cloud version of the way that identity management and email had always been done. It just happened to be done in the cloud and in a browser, and and you could argue that Facebook at work is in many respects a. a a, what happens if you start with mobile assumptions, if you start with cloud assumptions? Like you wouldn't do the same system that you did before. And you, that's sort of a process you think you see in all kinds of areas. And it's, it's not that the true potential of the new technology is unleashed until people have sat with it for a while and revisited all those assumptions. Exactly. But yeah, that, yep. there, there are benefits from bringing the old into the new. Banner ads, were they served their purpose. And that was obviously a lot better than an, uh, than an ad that sat in a newspaper. But it had nowhere near the potential of what native advertising has turned out to be inside of a feed. Right, exactly. Because just to replicate what came before, it's kind of like low hanging fruit, right? Mm. It's the obvious thing to do, and it's profitable because it's a, it's a new thing. It's a new thing to do. It, it, but it's not. It, it's a local maximum, right? It's mm. not. It's not going to be the ultimate system. It's not going to be the ultimate way to, to, to do company. I think that's what you often see, sort of like two generations that 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 come along, where kind of the first generation starts out with the replication model and they're successful, but the real long term winners are the ones that kind of like come along in the second wave, where they 
to challenge because whoever came first kind of got all the wool hanging fruit. So to get that the the fruit at the top of the tree, they have to completely rethink their assumptions. Start you know the mind of a baby and all that and. and start from first principles. But in the long run, those companies actually become far more powerful because they're native in, in from their business model to to everything to, to the new platform that they're operating on. And I guess that's what we're starting to see the dawn of really here inside of the enterprise messaging space. Right. So so the, that the, the third approach, well, well, so I skipped over one. So, so the uh, Microsoft is, there's some rumors, like I mentioned, about Skype Teams, which is basically, which is basically a a slack killer allegedly and what's interesting about it is it's kind of it kind of honestly feels like the old microsoft in a lot of ways and i and i i think microsoft's done good work and they've really transitioned their company away from windows to being a broader service company and i applaud that but the skype teams thing like what what are they trying to do ignore the name for a second in microsoft's terrible penchant for overusing brand names. So so from what I understand, like this is not Skype. Like it's a completely built from the ground up product. And uh I mean, we'll see we'll see once it comes out how it is. But let's presume, let's give Microsoft the benefit of the doubt that it's that it's it, that it's easy to use and works well. Which the, isn't I, I don't know. That's like if you've used Skype at all recently, that's possible. No, it's not Skype though. It's not Skype. No, just to be fair, it's not Skype. And Microsoft okay, has bought a bunch of good app makers. We'll, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and presume it's good. Okay. All right. but like what is the sort of operating presumption? What what is Microsoft's selling point on this? It's basically to leverage Office 365, which some which a good number of companies have installed, and they will attach this for free. And like, well, you could get Slack, which you're going to have to, you know, if you want the full features and, and full archives and sort of stuff, you have to pay, you know, six sixty seven a customer. I think it starts at and goes up, goes up for the more features that you want. Or you can have this, which you already have for free, which is the same thing. Like it, it's like, yes, it might work to an extent, but it very much is that sort of old, let's build an enterprise product with a consumer skin on it. And that's how we're going to win this space. So, so let me give Microsoft a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here. I think historically it was more as you described where you want one thing and then it felt like a hundred little pop-ups uh, emerged where you had to upgrade the Active Directory server or Windows server or it doesn't work with this. It does feel a little bit more like rather than trying to string the customer along, they've actually decided to say, well, uh, given you have all these pieces in place, we're going to make the integration of it really solid. So the, the workflows, for example, are much easier for people to use. We're going to we're going to develop an integration that works the way things should work, which isn't which is a little bit of a different attitude from we're going to take advantage of the fact you need one thing to sell you three or four different other things. Very fair. And it, and it is free, right? They're not trying to right. get greater spend out of you. No, it's a very fair point. I guess my, my point, though, is I, I it feels like the thinking behind it. And there was rumors that Microsoft was thinking about mm. buying Slack or or bid. It's, it's unclear what exactly happened. But that uh, Gates and Nadella kind of pushed back and said, no, we should we should build it ourselves. And th- I guess the what would drive the building presumption is this this assumption that you can leverage Office into sort of Skype Teams adoption and, and you can hold off Slack from enterprise customers, you know, and, and hip chat, which always feels neglected because everyone always talks about Slack, but you, you can hold them off at the pass. And kind of like Instagram stories and Snapchat stories, you know, to, to use sort of like a, a consumer example. Right. And I, I think there is, it 
It depends how you think the enterprises are going to fall. It's uh, in terms of the the sales cycle. There's actually an argument that that approach is a solid approach if you think that the the model for communications, which when you think about the purpose of computers inside of organizations, uh, it, it really does boil down to communications being a very, very core function. I mean, it sounds trite, but that's the reason that most people inside of businesses have phones, have computers, so they can more easily communicate with each other. If you think that the communications protocol or application is going to be something that gets deployed en masse, and that's how most organizations are going to deploy their uh, they're going to deploy their uh, communications application or protocol, then actually that approach of like the big bang, leverage the factor already in there so a CIO can just flick a switch and everybody has it, it kind of makes sense, you know? Oh, totally. And it, it's a reasonable approach. And again, like what's getting the benefit of the doubt, I presume it's going to be a, a well-built product that you know that 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 does everything you need and does it well and enjoyably and uh, no it, it could very well it could very well be successful so no i i i agree we'll get um i still think there's a a problem with it which we'll get to in a moment but you're right mm. it's 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 a little unfair to paint it with the with the past brush and i i, so I think your pushback is very fair in that regard there you go. The one episode which I'm going to come out swinging for Microsoft. I know. Usually, I'm the one defending them. Yeah, I know. There you go. I'm on so, the wrong side of the Pacific. My brain's all funny. So <laughs> maybe it's the way the Earth spins or something. Yeah. Uh, right. So so we are. So now you. So now you get to Slack. So Slack's kind of the other example here. And what what is so the 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 all the definition of consumerization of IT when you get to Slack, it, it's really. There's almost like a new definition here. So mm. there, there's there's a couple things going on. So first off, Slack is people like it because it, it has a good user interface. They enjoy using it. Like it has little details and delights and the emojis and all that sort of stuff. And and I think you know in general in sort of the the small scale like hip chat versus Slack competition that's been an area where where Slack has generally done well. It's just people find it more delightful and enjoyable to use, and that's very consumer consumer mm. in, in in a sense. Yeah, put a smile on people's face. That is that is definitely something that you see more of on the consumer side of things than on the enterprise side of right. things. Right. And, and like there's, there's various things like search that have always worked better. And but but there's but the other thing that's really interesting is uh you know, HipChat, if you want to be on multiple teams, you had to like sign out and sign into like other teams. Whereas Slack has always had the capability to sort of switch between multiple teams. And what's really interesting is Slack has always had this very sort of powerful free layer where the main limitation is is like you, you can only go back like ten thousand messages or something like that. That. Mm-hmm. And there's other stuff like logging and all sorts of stuff that's important for enterprises that's not available in the free version. But what you've what you've gotten is this sort of explosion in like social slacks where like I'm in one that I sit in every day with like a group like a group of friends and we and this is where I can vent about politics and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh and and we're not paying a dime for it, but I can also have other slacks that I'm in and I can switch back to them easily back and forth. And I'm developing a proficiency and a familiarity with this product. Now, I'm not one who's probably going to go back into an enterprise company and agitate for for chat software, but they're 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 getting this sort of widespread consumer esque almost adoption. Again, mainly among geeks and developers. To be clear, it's in Silicon Valley. It's like it's everywhere, but if you look at the whole world, it's it's, it's obviously has a lot of lot of growth potential in front of it. I think is a way to put it, but there's two really interesting things apart of this that make it super duper unique when it comes to enterprise software. One is that 
it is an enterprise software product that consumers are using willingly. Mm. We, we always thought about consumerization of IT as consumer products going into the enterprise. This is an enterprise product going into the consumer space. That, that really drives home the sort of user experience point if it's good enough for people to use willingly. Right, which is, I mean, and you, you made the point earlier that people find it delightful because of the user interface, but there is a broader, there's a broader thing happening here, which is the whole experience of using the product, not just the interface. Actually, like it's, it's done really, really well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's something that, that never mattered in enterprise software before. But the other thing that, that part of what makes this possible is, is the business model where it's mm. available for free. This idea that it's this cloud-hosted service where it's paid for with enterprise customers, but because they have all of these scale advantages of being a cloud-hosted service where the marginal user, like I'm sure it's the social slacks cost slack a fair bit, but relative to the cost of enterprise software traditionally, it's not it's not that much. And you so you can support these these sort of free users, you can support developers, you start getting this sort of and you have this interface where you can switch between teams easily, you start to almost get a very weak sort of network effect that you'd never see in enterprise software because there's all these silos around companies. So you have that sort of network effect and just as importantly, actually probably more importantly, you start you have the conditions to start to build an ecosystem organically because developers are using it in their day-to-day mm. life. People can download it to build their integrations. It's not a sort of thing where a company buys a big installation and hires their 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 vBasic programmers to to do like custom apps for the enterprise in it. Like there's because it's it's operating like a consumer app and has distribution like a consumer app and pricing like a consumer app, you're getting some of the effects of a consumer app when it comes to ecosystem and when it comes to sort of a network that no enterprise product has ever really gotten before. I, you uh, earlier on you said and uh, tongue a little bit in cheek that it's mostly geeks and 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 hardcore users that have adopted it. But when it comes to something like this, that is really not a bad place to start. A, they have a lot of those folks typically have a lot of influence uh, with other users, like they're they're they alpha geeks. They're people that other folks look to to say, hey, what's cool? What should we be using? And they mention it. But they also develop all these plugins, and then they're made freely available. They're the ones agitating for this ecosystem and helping the ecosystem to build. The the question in my mind around this is, and you compare the approach to the one that we talked about for Skype, which is uh, Skype when you teams, talk about not Skype. Skype teams. Yes, you're right. Skype teams. Thank you for the correction. The the like again, communication is such a fundamental element of what an organization does. And it's one of these things that, uh, I mean, part of what Slack wants to do is they want to replace email, which is a pretty, inside of organizations, which is a pretty noble goal. But one of the things that's made email so uh, so endemic to organizations is it's a reliable mechanism that everybody has. It has a very strong network effect. You, now, if you're inside of a team and you get all the people, you know all the people on your team, you can convince them all to use Slack. But that's very different from convincing everyone inside a, a huge organization to run Slack. And it's going to be very interesting to see the two different approaches. One of a bottoms up, almost guerrilla type war where you have a few people people infiltrate the organization start to use it because they love it convince their teams whether that's going to be enough to see entire the, the entire domino of an organization 
fall or in a series of dominoes fall, or whether it's going to be the more traditional enterprise model, which has been you have the CIO and particularly for an application as fundamental as messaging and communications, like they needed, they've traditionally flicked the switch on something that goes out to everybody. Is this going to be the first instance where a bottom-up groundswell on software actually ends up overtaking the enterprise? Well, so I, I'm going to flip that on its head. Well, mm. I, I have a few points. So one, mm. it's not the first instance. The first instance ah. is Atlassian, which right. has IPO'd is a, I think, 4 or $5 billion company now without a sales force, selling mm. enterprise software completely by taking advantage of internet distribution. And, I think they and do word have of a sales force. Sorry. I, they do. They, they, they have a small... No, they do, but their primary role of the sales force is basically uh, when customers are expire or they're about mm. to expire, like making sure mm. they stay on. Like right. It's not like a proactive where they're, they're ginning up leads. It's more kind of maintaining accounts is, is what it does. And as a percentage of spend for an enterprise company, it's drastically lower than almost any other enterprise company. I feel ashamed the fact that uh, I that's I an, Australian, an Australian company than you do. Australian company <laughs> and I completely friggin forgot about it. Yep. Okay. You you got me. So one that offers but 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 that all those sort of like problems you said for Slack, you can turn them on their head and they're actually big advantages. Mm. And one of the mm-hmm. most important ones is that a team can try it out for free. And a manager can put it on his credit card. Like for a team of Eight or nine people, it's not that much money. He can pro- like he, he probably has the capacity to just put it on his com- company credit card. And th- this is this is this is the power. This is where the cloud is is one of the other assets where the cloud is such a big deal when it comes to enterprise. You can try stuff out without having to install stuff. Like we're in such a different world from multi-year installations and pain and consultants and all the sort of stuff they had to do. You can literally put in nothing more than an email address and be running on Slack. And yes, that might be violating IT protocols and their oh, the shadow IT and all this sort of stuff. But, but everyone does that everyone. in enterprises. <laughs> Everybody does it. Like, I, I mean, if you're working in a bank, you probably financial services or, uh, or medical are probably the two where people know not to play those games but other than that everybody does it everyone's running like some rogue version of dropbox or something like that and i I tell you what it it does do as well having spent a bit of time inside of an enterprise sales cycle trying to prospect into one of these big enterprises is is a challenging thing at best and this is a big part of the reason why uh, a lot of these enterprise uh, sales co- uh, enterprise software companies have such big sales forces. But if you're able to call up the CIO and say, oh, hey, like Mr. CIO. 60% of your company is already using it, yeah. Yeah, I, and I think not only are they using it, they love it, and I think there might be value in it going to the rest. Like that is that is such a big edge in terms of selling software into enterprises and it it's uh, it's it's, transformational uh, it it changes oh totally and i think that's why atlassian was able to get away without a sales force for so long any sales force we see this happening now with dropbox versus box is a classic example box is a very traditional salesforce top-down driven model whereas dropbox is all like you have they walk into the cio and be like oh by the way like 70 percent of your of your company's using our product and you have no control over your files and data Hmm. like maybe you should sign up for a business plan their problem is you know just from a of the fundamental technical perspective that they've had to do a lot of work to re-engineer the product, but you, it's the same sort of 
same mm. sort of battle you just characterized. And that's a big advantage. And, and especially when you get something like Slack that has internal network effects, not just external ones, but where where once people are using it and once it's established and it's easier to get people on it, you in the word of mouth becomes very powerful. And you can connect to other companies where maybe you're working on a joint project or you're working with a design firm or something like that. Like it becomes something that that's uh like what's a what's that product? A base camp. Like when I was at Microsoft, Microsoft didn't have any Basecamp accounts, but I was on like 15 Basecamps because I did a ton of work with outside design agencies. Mm. And and like that was just a standard interface. I would imagine if I were at Microsoft now, I would be in 15 Slacks with all of them as well. And mm. So that's point one. There's another point you made, though, I want to get back to. And that is this idea of Slack replacing email. That's a nice slogan. And it may be reducing email. I'll tell you as far as like Facebook, like if you talk to anyone internally at Facebook, email's gone because they use Facebook at work. Mm. But what what is what is powerful about Slack is most companies don't have group chat applications. They might have instant message applications where you can do a group function, but it's kind of unwieldy and you have to add people mm-hmm. on. It's not natural. Uh, obviously, IRC has always been around, which Slack is basically a pretty fine version of. Right. But but that's always been a very geeky sort of thing. But this I the reason why this is an advantage is Slack is selling a is entering a greenfield opportunity to use a classic business school term, which means that they're going to companies that haven't experienced the utility of group chat, and it can be additive to email, and it can be additive to instant message, and obviously it probably replaces instant message very quickly. But this idea where it's 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 improving productivity by adding something as opposed to replacing something. This is a this is a big prob, a potential problem I see for Facebook at work that I think they're going to have going into companies. If they go into companies that already have established communications channels, particularly email, I, if, I think Facebook at work or sorry, it's well, workplace by Facebook, it's more effective if you buy in completely. If that's the only system you use and you sort of forget about email and you move completely, it's like a full big old communications solution. And the more you have other stuff going on, the more it feels like a lot of work as opposed to something like Slack where it's like, oh, you can do this with email and it's easier. And over time, of course, Slack can expand its capabilities and take over more and more jobs that email does and jobs that phones do and jobs that his messages do. But I think there's a lot of power that comes from being a sort of very focused sort of solution. This is uh, it's a it's a really interesting point, and uh, just thinking about particularly for existing enterprises. Let's leave new enterprises alone for a second. Existing enterprises that have an almost there, there isn't an enterprise an existing enterprise today other than maybe Facebook that has killed it through using the Facebook app. and and and, autom- and automatic. Right. There are there are probably a few very technical companies, technology-enabled companies that might have killed it, but pretty much every company out there is going to have email other than that. And you think about you being the CIO and a change management program for something as fundamental as changing communications protocols for a 10,000-person organization, all the training, everything that's required, all the messaging. It's not just it's, training. It's getting people to like undo right. like years of muscle memory. 
Right. And so if if Facebook, if the Facebook product works best when you do a big bang and Slack is more dropping the frog in the the pot of water and turning up the heat, I, I think that the version inside of an enterprise that has an existing product, it's always going to be it's always easier to bring the 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 uh, the horse to water if it wants to go there rather than dragging it there. Like people start using Slack in addition to email because they see the value in it versus a CIO coming along and saying, oh, well, hey, guys, by the way, we're switching off email tomorrow and everybody's switching over <laughs> right. to this Which thing they're on not one day. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think they are. So in that, in that speci- like given, given the fact that we're not starting from scratch inside of every, pretty much every organization in the world, the, the Slack model definitely lends itself better to a slow change inside of the way organizations communicate that people are happy about as opposed to like all the grumbling about oh my gosh this new system it doesn't do this it doesn't do that and why can't i have my email anymore i love my outlook archives right and no one loves it but they're like people it's familiar it's the status quo and that's so powerful and and this but this gets back to the the big overarching point the 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 way that slack succeeds if they succeed and obviously you know they have a great valuation they've got no tons to date they have a lot lot further to go, no question. But if they succeed, even this strategy we're talking about where they start sort of with the 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 the, the narrow edge of a of a wedge where they get in get in there, they're pulling people to them mm. because it's a better way to work. It's a better way to communicate. And again, you cannot un- underestimate overestimate. You cannot overestimate what how transformational this is in the context of enterprise software. This idea that you're winning and you're getting people by having a better user experience and by having a model where people can try it and they use you on your merits as a product. They don't use you because they're told to. They don't use you because right. they have to. And like to me, this is like now Consumer British IT, now that, that resonates with me. For all intents and purposes, Slack is a consumer product that monetizes by subscription pricing, which is an enterprise business model. It's it, it, like this is like the final fusion, if that makes sense. It's it, yeah, and it's the thing. The the other element about it is that ev- everything is an alignment. Like the the yes. way in which folks talk, like I've met a few folks from there, and they have a deepener. It's not just. Uh, window dressing on top where they're saying, you know what, we're going to make it look pretty. Like they're genuinely committed to making this delightful and helping make people more productive. But more than that, comparing it against the other, the other, the the other leading contender or one of the other leading contenders, Facebook, the, the thing that gives me pause is uh, culturally and from a business model perspective, they're wading into very unfamiliar territory oh, totally, selling totally. into enterprise software, whereas Slack has been built ground up to do just this super, super well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's like, there's lots of, there's lots of interesting points about Facebook, uh, Facebook or workplace. Like, I think if they wanted to, they could make a real play to own identity in, in the corporation. I think that mm. a couple acquisitions would make sense. I wrote about the daily update today, but the, my big question is, like Google got a nice little, little what's the word? Um, if you do an invasion, a beachhead in enterprise, like when they launched Google Apps, and because it was a good product, it was a compelling product, but then they basically neglected it for ten years because they were making mm-hmm. tons of money on the consumer side. Like they, there wasn't over the last year, as I think their consumer business model is 
at least you can foresee increasing challenges, they've really rededicated themselves to the enterprise space and are doing some mm-hmm. really interesting work. But that you can see that being driven by now they need it. Facebook doesn't need workplace. And you cannot like it sounds trivial, but you cannot overestimate the importance of needing to win and being willing to do the grunt work and the hard work of building up the organization and doing deals, particularly because their model is really a top-down model. And are they going to build out the capability of doing that and servicing that? Yeah, I'm skeptical. They still have a lot to uh, chew on when it comes to the brand side and the opportunity there for brand and consumer is still so huge and they still have a whole lot of work to do. Yep. I mean, yes, they've been, they've been, I mean, here's the other, th- on the other side of the coin though, they have dog fooded it themselves. Now, that, that is that true. Gives, that is true. That, there's gives, a big difference. It, it gives me hope for the product. But it's the business model stuff that I think if any – the business model and the culture stuff, if anywhere they're going to come undone, it's because those those things aren't in alignment. And that versus Slack, which is like this is our core thing. We have been built from the ground up to do it and we're people love us. Like it's hard to compete against that. I mean if they threw all their resources behind it, I wouldn't want to argue against Facebook when they really get behind something. They, they but there's to no reason well. to expect them to get fully behind this. I agree. Yeah. Sorry, I just totally interrupted you. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, you, you're spot on. I, I would t- again. It's, it's. You want to be careful betting against those guys, but they, they have such a big opportunity where they already are, and it's almost like, well, we've built this thing and it works so well. What happens if we sold it out into the, into the, the rest of the world? I guess we'll see what happens. Totally. It's, it's, it's interesting because there's a lot of, and frankly, the Skype Teams model is solid. Like this idea mm. that. Most comp- a lot of companies are already paying for Office 365, and they can have a, a, a good enough solution that, and they don't have to pay like a bunch of extra for 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 something else. They may have never even hear of because they just get on. Like again, it's like Instagram Stories. Like maybe people will never even try Snapchat, right? The the I guess the the, cons- the 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 concern I have for Microsoft, and I've said this again and again, it's been a recurring theme for me. For all the great work that Satya Nadella has done, I think he's been a, a fantastic CEO, and I, I couldn't be more impressed with the way he's oriented the company away from Windows and towards a, a more service model. That the the big hole, the big problem for Microsoft is why would a new company started today ever buy a Microsoft product? It, it, yeah. And and that's why and like and this is this is my big concern about the Skype Teams approach and why they didn't buy Slack, which I pushed for. I, I don't think in the, in the daily update, not in the weekly update. I wrote about it a few different times. And the reason why it mattered is momentum matters. Like desirability matters, brand matters. Skype Teams might end up being a better product than Slack. Let's let's it's hypothetical. Let's say it is. That doesn't matter. Like. Microsoft needs a product that drives new adoption, not just leveraging their old war horses to new products until they're dead. And that's that's why, like, even if, yes, they could build Skype Teams and maybe just as good as Slack from a product perspective, but all the hype, you can be mad at the hype that Slack gets and all the press they get, that's exactly what Microsoft needs. Microsoft needs a product yeah. that, that companies desire, that consumers desire, and they don't have that. And, Boy, they, like it's a, Slack is a company. If they ever had an opportunity, and again, I'm skeptical that Butterfield ever wanted to sell. Like he already sold, he already sold Flickr. Right. He probably sold it, sold it too soon. I think he raised a ton of money, so he would never have to sell. But if there was ever an opening and they didn't take it, boy, I think that's going to be a, a will have been a big miss. 
it's it's interesting contrasting the three of them, right? Because if you think about it along product lines and you think about it along business model lines, Facebook, I think, has the product. I have questions about the business model. And I have questions about, about the introduction of it into – like it's great if you start at zero, but I, I'm, I question layering on top of email and stuff like that. Right, which I, I would, yeah, I, I kind of put that in, into yeah, business model enough. because it kind of it, it kind of ignores the existing, like selling into the existing organization. Right, it, it's got, yeah, it ignores reality, it. like the way the world actually is. It's like a theoretical best solution. Right, correct. Uh, then Microsoft, I think the business model is fantastic. I have concerns about the product. The interesting thing is Slack seems to have both of them pretty well lined up. They do, and 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 this this idea of like one of the big advantages of this new era of enterprise software is you can customize it, and you can build stuff that is particular to you in a way you were never really able to before. Yes, you could build line of business applications that were that were for you, but this like the whole universe of Slack integrations and stuff like that that again also comes from it being kind of a consumer product. People build this stuff for free; they build it because they want it for themselves. They build it for their friends. That's power in consumer, and it's something that's never really been brought to bear in. in quite so meaningful way in enterprise software, but it's uniquely it's something that's uniquely capable because of the cloud. Like this is this is the full evolution of cloud software where in the transformation of the enterprise, frankly, this world where I sit in a Slack channel with friends and it's the same product that big companies or something like that is so different than putting in a massive Oracle installation and like me downloading a free version of MySQL from my WordPress site. Like it's 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 a profound transformation and it we're seeing it here and we're going to see it again in, in area after area. Yeah. I mean it, the the other thing that I would say is it doesn't surprise me that the giants are waking up to this space because messaging traditionally has been on-prem. It's been something that has been an open protocol and this is this is uh, in in the same way that Facebook has grabbed communications and has grabbed attention, you can easily see how uh, a company coming along with a cloud product that controls the communications layer of a company could easily level up into a whole bunch of different areas. And that is a very powerful... When you have... Con- just like when you have consumers' eyeballs, it's a very powerful place to be. If you have all the eyeballs with a cloud product of everyone inside every enterprise and then start connecting and layering up from there, it's a very powerful place to be. It, it, yeah, it's in, I, I, this whole the, how this plays out is interesting. It's going to put a lot of sort of theories that we've talked about and ideas to, to the test about what matters. Because it's enterprise, there's probably going to be... What, a few people are going to win because you don't have such powerful network effects as you do as you do in the consumer space. But yeah, it, it, it's it's going to be interesting. To, and again, it's one of those you've said it a few times this podcast. It's hard to cast your mind back to the way things were before. But it, it, like, it's arguable that the tra- this transformation in in how you can buy and trial software and what matters in the enterprise space is just as revolutionary as anything else that's happened in tech in the, in the last 30 years. Yeah, I, I, I actually think it's it's uh, it's not just interesting from the perspective of how technology has enabled this to happen. I think it's also interesting that, that organizations are now more open to it because, and, and this is one of the things that's come up repeatedly on the podcast, is that what used to cause 
organizations to win with scale. You had more people and more resources that you could deploy against a problem that nobody else could match. You could build a server room, other people couldn't. You could deploy the supercomputers or buy the massive factory. But that those kinds of things have, have tend to be commoditized by the internet, by free trade, all these trends that have converged at the moment. And now what's determining whether organizations win or not is the productivity and the brilliance of your people. And at the same time, that's happening, we're starting to see tools come along that no longer treat people like widgets like like we will they will be forced to learn how to use this sap user interface but instead like you're seeing the rise of enterprise software that's being successful that people love to use and organizations are open to it because they know that part of what what determines whether they win or not in this era is whether they can bring the best out of a smaller number of people if there's an overarching theme i think for us it's it's this that the transformation brought on by the internet, and this is, this is a big one, make no mistake, that it's only viable because of the internet. This change in business model, this change, this rise of the user experience being inversely correlated to, to distribution barriers coming down. Mm. It's going to change everything. Mm-hmm. It, and here it's changing how corporations think about their employees and the tools they give them. It's going to change politics. It's going to change like the way we organize society it's going to change cities like with the things like with Uber and parking and all that sort of stuff we're only getting started it's a big deal and yeah we've gone long but needless <laughs> to say that, that that'd be a good way to go much longer so we should probably pull the plug we should and i am sweating bullets here right now so <laughs> <laughs> and remember mailchimp uh, does integrations and like i use i use those integrations and they're great and our thanks to them for sponsoring exponent and Yes, we will let you go and turn on the air conditioner. Yeah, I am really looking forward to doing that, actually. But this has been a good conversation, as always. Really good talking to you. I'll talk to you later. See you, mate. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.